Good evening and welcome to the 12th episode of Leadership Conversations in the Development Sector. The social impact sector is full of passionate leaders with innovative outlooks on the world's greatest problems. Our leadership conversations focus on the unique insights offered by these leaders as they share their experiences and move the development sector forward. Our host, Go Barefoot, is an interactive web portal dedicated to the social sector. It brings together individuals, NGOs, NPOs, and the CSR arms of organizations with the mandate of creating a one-stop information website for both networking and knowledge sharing. We are supported by Catalyst, an NGO which has been preparing young women for leadership roles to create equality in opportunities and bridge the gender gap. Also, we are supported by Third Sector Partners, India's only executive search firm exclusively for the development sector. Our guest today is one of the leading lights in the development sector. I would like to extend a warm welcome to Saurabh Tineja, CEO of the Akansha Foundation. The Akansha Foundation is a non-profit organization with a mission to impact the lives of low-income children, enabling them to maximize their potential and transfer their lives. Saurabh leads a team of 700 plus faculty and staff, close to 800 volunteers, all serving 27 schools that educate 10,000 children and a network of 4,000 Akansha alumni across Mumbai and Pune. Previously, he has spent four years as a founding school leader of Acharya Vinobha Bhave School, Akansha's first standalone secondary school. The school's success has inspired Akansha other organizations and local government authorities to start similar models in the city. Before joining the Akansha Foundation, Saurabh worked with both Shiksha Samiti, UNICEF, and the government of Rajasthan on large-scale school transformation projects and key education policies. Saurabh is also a Teach for India Fellow and a graduate of IIT Delhi. Saurabh also serves on the board of directors of the Akansha Foundation. In conversation with Mr. Saurabh is Sheetal Gakkar Mehra, leadership expert and executive presence coach for CEOs. Sheetal has trained over 75,000 professionals across Asia and has personally coached over 1,000 CXOs in the past two decades. She has conducted workshops for diverse organizations across Asia and has been invited as a speaker by leading B-schools and professional associations. She's a best-selling author and her latest best-selling book, Executive Presence, The Poised Formula for Leadership, is India's first research-based formula on this leadership skill. Sheetal is an active philanthropist and social entrepreneur. Thank you, Saurabh and Sheetal, for joining us here today. Over to you, Sheetal. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, Saurabh. We look forward to hearing your views and um, Happy New Year to all our listeners. This is our 12th episode and I'm going to start with the questions. So the first question to you, Saurabh, is that globally the divide between the social and corporate sector is breaking. What are some of the processes that the development sector can learn from the corporate sector? And what are some of the things that the corporate sector can learn and incorporate from the social sector? So vice versa. Hi, hi, Sital and Sakshi and Go Barefoot Catalyst and third sector partner team. And uh, really glad to be here. And uh, hi, everyone who's logged in to listen into my experiences. I have to say that in the esteemed company of all the stalwarts, my experience is fairly, uh, you know, nascent. I've just like spent almost only a decade here and uh, you know there's so many leaders spent like 
years and years uh so i speak from my limited experience so you know wouldn't consider any of these to be truth pointers and my corporate sector experience is also fairly limited but i have had an extensive opportunity to engage with a lot of my friends and and now colleagues you know who sort of switched over and i think there are a couple of things that i really admire about uh, you know the work ethic that and some of the practices that uh, you know our folks have brought in from the corporate sector i think the first one is just the tightness and the accountability to holding ourselves to the necessary outcome and whether it's in education health or anywhere i believe that uh, you know there is this some degree of hard nosed attitude that i believe that all of us in the development sector could potentially learn from and how do we like really hold ourselves better to accountability and and indicators and outcomes in general as well as uh, uh one thing that at least we have been struggling with in akanksha and something that i have lo- learned that corporate sectors do really well is just leadership development and succession planning for critical roles you know not just the ceos and the leaders which is what most of the non-profits engage in i just recently read a study where less than 90% of the organizations that were a part of the study uh, uh you know ngos had any form of a leadership bench strength planning exercise and if you did it uh, the other way around in in corporates you would be surprised to sort of see the skew being on the other end of the spectrum so i would say it's all connected to people practices and you know uh, uh some of the things that we can uh, pick up from the corporate sector and i think on on the same front i believe that uh you know there are the critical role that we believe in nonprofits is just the role of empathy and balancing empathy or relationships rather with results and i believe that's like you know if there is a way to sort of intersect uh results plus relationships and that's something that corporate sector can potentially learn from the dev sector that's one and i don't want to sound in any way cheesy by quoting mahatma gandhi but i really believe that there is a difference in wanting for your need and working for your greed and that's what was my initial realization as i decided to switch over and mahatma gandhi did say that you know there's enough in this world for everyone's needs but not you know enough for everyone's greed and and i think it's a personal question for everyone but i do believe that you know folks in dev sector has sort of made their peace with what's the need and what's the greed and i think if we can sort of make that happen across the board our world would be a lot better place superb completely agree with you and uh, earlier it was so much about uh, profits and profits and shareholder returns and today they have changed the dialogue thanks to the pandemic uh, there's conversation around empathy respect for the employee respect for the vendor respect for the environment so yes the dialogue the narrative has changed and that's a wonderful answer thank you so much um i'm going to ask you another question which is related to the pandemic as well um you know the governments have had to work very closely with both the corporate sector as well as the development sector so whether it was the developing the vaccine or the vaccination drives which were done at the grassroots level awareness building about the pandemic using using masks ngos have had partnered as well so what can the governments learn from the social and development sector um so so i would also like to just bring in sheetal a very critical perspective having been a part of the development sector that i don't believe that today in india we truly recognize the role of civil society uh and there was you know and this is something that's become fairly evident during the 
pandemic uh, uh, primarily, uh, uh, you know, and there was a brilliant uh, op-ed done by Ingrid Srinath as well as uh, Ashish from FSG where they built a case that there are almost 4 million folks today deployed in development sector, probably like 10, 15% less than the overall IT industry. And yet, uh, you know, because of it being fragmented, you know, like we're, we're not really necessarily seen as a force for development together. Uh, and, and what at least we've been learning in our own work with Akanksha Foundation and from many other NGOs, I think there's the ability to listen and truly understand the genuine issues of people or the communities that we serve is sometimes missing in engaging with the government authorities or bureaucracy. So if there is a way for governments to sort of truly open their ears to nonprofits who truly are genuinely connected with people, I would say that's one. And I think the second is just the ability to bring in the last mile delivery. I have seen the kind of work that organizations have done during the pandemic and Goonj being one of them, I'm a huge admirer of Anshu's work and, and you know, Goonj and what they do. And it's just mind blowing. And there's so many organizations that Niti Aayog relied on during this time, the so last mile delivery. And the third, I would say, where probably Akansha Foundation fits in is innovation. I think there are aspects and models that, you know, government is never in the, uh, you know, frame of mind to sort of spend public dollars or public money on. And that's where NGOs come in to sort of truly show innovative practices, which could then potentially be, uh, you know, serving as lessons or models to scale for the government. So those are the three areas where I would say, uh, you know, governments can engage better with the social sector organization. Very interesting and very apt and agree with you completely. I'm going to change tracks a little bit. You're very passionate about children's education. You've worked extensively. Um, you know, please share with our listeners your three biggest learnings uh, in the last uh, decade or more that you've spent in this uh, sector. Um, let me just start with a story, uh, Sheetal, and then I'll probably draw a couple of lessons that come out of it. You know, I was a principal myself uh, for four years, and, I, and there's a, there was a student of mine uh, when I had just taken on uh, becoming the principal of Acharya Vinoba Bhave School, which is like a government school. She was transitioning uh, after having studied in a government school for eight years to, to our Akaksha Foundation School. And, uh, you know, one of these days, I had the opportunity to drop her, uh, you know, to her place. Uh, and I realized that she used to live in the most upscale neighborhood in Pune, Korega Park. And yet at night, her entire alley, where she and about 500 migrant families from Bihar lived, became entirely invisible. They had no electricity, no ration. They were living off on Nala's water. And yet, the kind of determination that I have seen in this student of mine, her name is Ruby, and what she has done in the past eight years today, she is one of the few well-known young artists, upcoming artists in Pune, who's sort of setting up, you know, exhibitions. And she recently, you know, became sort of self-sustaining during the pandemic, you know, by doing private uh, work. And my big lesson or learning, is, especially in the last eight years of my work with children is, I think that kids have limitless potential 
and the only limit that uh, that they have is the burden of adult expectations and if we all can truly open up our minds and see uh, you know uh, beyond the muck uh, you know what the lotus really holds for us i think it's just going to be amazing uh, uh, you know what we can do uh, my second uh, lesson has just been how do we truly see children as our partners in schools and in classrooms and if we have to reap the you know benefits of demographic dividend in in india in the next decade with about 200 million plus children we need to sort of see them as partners in building the society and you know truly engaging with what needs to be the learning and curriculum in schools and classrooms and not just do things for them but truly do things with them that's second and i think the third is just the power of an excellent school and an ed- educator in having a transformative impact on the life of a child so yeah yeah true and uh, 2020 and 2021 have been uh, years of school closures akansha of course reimagined learning to ensure uninterrupted education so please share with our listeners this uh, the role of technology in this initiative and how you managed to achieve your objective which is very inspiring and commendable thank you and and i have to admit sheetal that especially for non-profits and across the board uh, it's been a really hard transition because we are fairly resource constrained uh, that said we were privileged to have a lot of our donors and our generally supporters and promoters who truly understood the importance of staying connected with the children and their families especially to provide relief you know in the first few uh months of the pandemic and you know low tech engagement over whatsapp and phone calls in and of itself became like a lifeline for so many of our children and families uh, we did shift towards virtual and blended learning we were one of the few networks uh, or rather ngos in in india who was able to do that uh, you know fair degree of ease because we were able to invest in procuring devices tablets as well as internet for our kids and now that's given us the wings and the children the wings to like really reimagine their own learning what they can do beyond just the classroom and you know opened up uh, uh you know the boundaries of what they were engaging with so so i would say that it's been a tough transition it's not as it's not been as seamless and and uh, uh you know from what i've been hearing from corporate sector you know they used to get monthly allowance to sort of take care of their work from home stuff like that but i don't think that's been the case but at the end of the day i think all of us have managed to sort of pivot fairly reasonably well uh coming up with innovation interesting so what was the biggest challenge when um, of course procuring the devices would have been a challenge wifi would have been a challenge any other challenge that you can share because there are lots of listeners who are in the education sector and would definitely be looking at online learning so any other challenge that your organization faced when uh, transitioning to a complete online learning system yeah i think the fundamental difference uh, uh or rather the biggest challenge is uh, the investment in human development alongside investing tech devices and softwares and platforms right everybody like that's the easiest thing to do for everyone like just put in the resources you will find a way like those are logistical problems to solve i think really reorienting and upskilling or reskilling your people in a truly uh, you know a uh, thoughtful way 
and like sort of using this other new variable of tech that's come in now for educators especially is a really critical topic and i wouldn't even say that akanksha has managed to sort of tide over that yes we have a lot more people now to become familiar with it but will these practices sustain time will tell and we'll all need to sort of pay uh, you know enough attention across the country to make sure that some of these good practices can sustain post the pandemic so i would say that i think training and you know ensuring that these practices become long term behavior shifts is fairly critical very true uh, i'm just going to change tracks and in uh, move to your personal journey the development sector has significantly changed and evolved the last couple of decades now from iit delhi to the social sector has been an interesting personal journey for you as well so we have a lot of people from the sector who are who are in the room listening to your views so what is your advice to the rising stars in the social sector uh i have to say that the energy in the past 5 years in the sector is just mind blowing i know there's a lot of talk about the entrepreneurial ecosystem in it and startups uh, and you know the all the culture i haven't seen the kind of energy uh, uh uh you know that i am noticing in the last 3 4 years even as social entrepreneurs right i think this is a fantastic time to be in general in dev sector i think people are acknowledging that it is a fairly stable long term career option you know there are credible organizations in every aspect of dev space whether it's health environment uh, you know education uh you know gender livelihood there are brilliant organizations so you you know you can become an entrepreneur or you can sort of set up uh, you know your own organization with alternative financing you know i had zero clue when all of this was happening almost a decade back we just had a few fellowship options so now you can get inducted into the dev sector as well through so many ways and then you can sustain your career right so it's no longer that moral dilemma that what do i do you know how how much i need to earn to sort of make my ends meet with the we staying back so i think the energy and the talent that's come into the sector in the past decade is just incredible right so you're not you're working with a lot of bright energetic folks who are entrepreneurial and driven at the same time in making a difference in their lifetime superb and yes there are funds to back as well with the impact investing so yes for all those young professionals this is a wonderful career option uh, i'm going to talk to you about talent as well uh, you know in your career in the in the sector as a leader you uh, have of course developed a lot of talent so can you please share ways that you have proactively developed potential leaders any programs any tips that you would like to offer to our listeners see uh, sheetal our context is like our job is so niche in in akanksha the primary focus of leadership development in our organization has been for school leaders or principals right and uh, we believe that they are the linchpin in success of a school and hence uh, you know student lives and therefore our investment in akanksha has been focused primarily on developing a pipeline of school leaders which already requires some prerequisite skills like teaching and you know having spent some years so you know my energy and my team's energy has gone largely over the past 4 5 years in enabling that and creating a pool of excellent school leaders for akanksha growth uh, as well as sustenance of high quality schools 
That said, I think for starters in dev sector, there are now so many fellowships. There's Chief Minister's Fellowship, there's Teach for India Fellowship. I swear by Teach for India Fellowship, especially for someone who's thinking about education, there's Gandhi Fellowship uh, run by, uh, you know, Piramal Kevalia Foundation. Uh, you have so many, you know, there's PM, uh, Prime Minister's Rural Development Fellowship. So there are these bunch of fellowships today available across different themes that probably eight to 10 years ago were non-existent. And I believe that they provide a fantastic opportunity to A, develop a grassroots experience and understanding as well as your leadership by you know, rolling up your sleeves and really engaging with people and the problem firsthand instead of just sort of you know, sitting in, uh, on, a, on an armchair and then sort of just opining about what the issue should be. So I would direct and, you know, the folks to sort of really exploring some of the volunteering as well as you know, the, what you all are doing with third sector partners as well as you know, bringing in talent to engage with organizations first to start as volunteers or as consultants and then really determine where they fit in based on their skills and experience. So I think there are so many avenues uh, and yeah. these are the ones that came to my mind. Superb. I think volunteering is a great option because it gives you, um, you know, uh, quick insights into what the industry, what the role, what the cause is. And of course, Go Barefoot is a portal for uh, networking on the sector as well. Uh, I'm going to just ask you a little bit about a very big, uh, you know, game-changing event of our life, which is COVID. It has impacted every aspect of our lives, personal as well as professional uh, several losses uh, and, uh, you know, the world has changed the way it interacts with each other. So leadership also has had to evolve and change to rise up to this challenge. So can you tell us, um, in your uh, opinion, as a leader of a large foundation, how have you personally, um, you know, what are the changes that you've made to rise up to this challenge or any way that you've done things differently in the last couple of years? Uh, it's a tough one, Sheetal, because, you know, all of us like didn't really sign up to be in this crisis, right? I think just based on the virtue of our roles, we just managed to be here. And, and despite all of that said, you know, our lives were still far more privileged and easier to navigate the crisis. I think for all leaders across, whether it's corporate sector or dev sector, it was a fairly challenging piece. There were three common themes, right? In my engagement, especially with nonprofit folks. One was just uncertainty and how do you deal with uncertainty. And I think that's been my biggest learning uh, during this entire phase that, you know, um, planning is great. Uh, you know, planning is important, plans are not. Uh, and what I think I mean by that is that we should have the ability and the flexibility and the agility to be okay with the changing dynamic environment and in which we operate. And there's a lot of learning that comes with it as long as we are open and not to attach to a single pathway. So that's one. I think the second is uh, just like truly being open to finding innovative ways or solutions to the same problems that we haven't ever seen, right? You know, we've, like we have all become so comfortable with the idea of Zoom calls and meetings. We can get majority of the things done, you know, virtually, right? And, and I think nobody really saw this, right? So I think the ability to sort of see some aspect of silver lining about how this is really truly going to shift our life and finding those trends and innovation is a big lesson that I'm coming to learn through COVID. And I don't mean to say that I've made use of all the opportunities that have come our way or rather spotted trends 
fairly early on. It's not been that straightforward, but what I'm seeing others do, I'm just picking up what are the underlying principles on that. And I think the third thing, which is especially true for most of the nonprofit uh, sector leaders that I know of is prioritizing your own well-being, whether it's, uh, you know, spiritual, physical, uh, emotional well-being. All of us tend to give a lot of ourselves and, uh, you know, who's going to take care of the caregiver. And, and I've learned that, you know, it's only you who has to sort of prioritize your own well-being. And I don't mean to say at the expense of, you know, what you need to deliver on. There is just a way that you can carve out personal practices to truly prioritize your own well-being because I think we've seen a lot of people suffer because of that. Uh, and, and I think for me, that's been one of the key leadership lessons. And I connect with so many nonprofit uh, sector leaders. Uh, you know, just a couple of weeks back, we were all together on a Dasra forum, 15 of us. And I think that was one of the biggest realizations for every single leader, no matter whether they've been in the sector for three years or 30 years, right? how much they have been sort of underestimating the importance of their own well-being and its impact on their uh, leadership ability and hence the impact on the organization. True, very true. Self-awareness levels have gone up. It's helped us connect with ourselves so much better. And one aspect of the development sector which definitely has changed is that donor profile also has changed. Uh, because people are so much more uh, connected on technology, the world has become flat. And uh, today, you know, donors, uh, donor profile has also changed. And this, of course, COVID has accelerated the change. So what are your thoughts on this aspect of, uh, you know, the development sector? Uh, so uh, I can share from my limited vantage point, um, uh, Sheetal, like the way we see it is like there are basically three to four forms of, uh, you know, donors or supporters one is the csr funders and uh, you know the corporates the big corporates who have to do this under the law uh, you know even their thinking has evolved fairly uh, i think they're looking for a lot more outcome based projects and funding instead of just input and activity based funding that's one uh, i think the second is just a, a bunch of retail or individual donors that sort of came in over the past 18 to 24 months is phenomenal. And I think the kind of efforts that they did through so many of the other online partners that I know, Give India, Dana Mojo, uh, uh, you know, to name a few, that really sort of, you know, built up on that and supported so many NGOs was just phenomenal. It's, let's see whether this will sustain or whether it was just sort of an outpouring because of really that second. The third, like you also mentioned, is impact investing. Uh, you know, I am not fully well connected in the ecosystem, but I do know that there are alternative ways of financing, which is more like outcome oriented, uh, uh, you know, development impact bonds, et cetera, as well. That sort of started coming into the social sector uh, with the idea. And, and I think fourth, which has always been a key one is institutional funders or your, uh, you know, foreign philanthropic foundations. And, and they stepped up as well in the hour of the need to stay connected and stay put on their long-term bets on the programs and did not, uh, you know, shift their strategy too much because of COVID. And, and I think that's been heartening to see. So, so I do think that there is an evolution to the next level for on all four, uh, which of these would sustain in my view, I think the outcome-based 
approach in general, post-COVID is going to sort of form the key theme, no matter in what sector within development space you are a part of. True, very true. In fact, measuring impact will become essential, a more transparency, more accountability. So yes, uh, you know, more process driven. Um, yes, agree with you. In fact, we have a couple of very interesting questions from, uh, uh, so Srijita from Third Sector Partners would like to ask you a question. So Sakshi, could we have the spotlight on Srijita, please? Yes. Hi, good evening. I'm really enjoying this session. It's very thought-provoking. So one of my questions is related to a UNICEF, a recent UNICEF report, which stated that around 80% of children in India within the age bracket of 14 to 18 have experienced low level of learning due to the pandemic and online education compared to the physical, uh, uh, physical mode. Um, so my specific question is how can the education and developmental sector adjust to the unpredictability of this pandemic, which is still very prevalent? Uh, so it, it's a tough one, uh, Srijita. I have to admit that just the digital divide uh, has been, you know, mind-blowingly rude and shocking for many of us. And and I think while many of us in our own homes were able to pivot fairly quickly, like you said, you know, I think for low-income community children who are just based out of single room space, it's been hard to engage with learning. Look, uh, there are two responses. One is, I do believe that it's fairly evident for us as a country that we do not prioritize education and schools enough. They are the last to open and first to shut. Today, the bars and malls and everything is open 50% capacity, my schools, the Vacancia Foundation and all the other schools are shut for grade one to eight. And that's, those are the formative years. So I think we all need to find a way to raise our voice to truly put education as a key agenda. I mean, you know, just imagine uh, how our elected representatives and this is not towards the central government. I'm just talking about all states, you know, all the places where you know, how easily we quickly, without thinking about children from low-income communities, we just imagine that they will be able to switch gears to online learning and all will be well. So that's just one on, you know, the, uh, the importance of just keeping the schools open. And the second is that if and when they do reopen, and I'm really hoping that in the next six months or so, we can be more proactive in managing this crisis, uh, is just in terms of prioritizing the learning law and social-emotional well-being law. Uh, one thing that you haven't touched upon, Srijita, is just the number of suicides that got committed in the last year was about 15,000, which is 2x the time prior to the pandemic in one year. 15,000 student suicides between the age of 15 to 21. So three, almost three a day. Uh, so, so there's been a huge crisis on... Uh, you know, mental health as well. So if and when we do reopen our schools, I think we need to have a mission mode on addressing the learning gap, as well as, you know, this crisis of mental health, no matter what. And even till date, we have to find a way to advocate to abandon this, you know, age-old board exam system. I am a huge proponent of doing away with it. We still are prioritizing board exams over the basics, and it's a shame. So, so yeah, I think, you know, I feel fairly passionately about this. And, and I do think that what is also happening is that the government is 
beginning to realize the potential of tech. So there's a lot of investment going in in tech infrastructure by the government. However, like I shared that there is under investment on human capacity development to sort of navigate the usage of this tech. And therefore that should be our key priority to balance as well. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, very interesting mention that. Uh, Shalima also has a question. Uh, Shalima, could we have the spotlight on you and we would... Uh... Thanks, thanks, Sheetal. And I just, yeah, I mean, I think what uh, Saurabh just mentioned about the changes that we need to bring in and my follow-up question is around that. So I'm more specifically, you know, wanting to ask uh, what are the changes that, you know, education system needs to address, especially uh, on the learning needs of the youths today, uh, on the leadership development? I mean, I know that there is an impact on uh, of pandemic, then, you know, we are looking at mental health, we are looking at so many other factors that has contributed uh, in our uh, youth today, but we are also looking at a competitive environment where, uh, you know, youths are expected to be you know, absolutely ready uh, as soon as they come out of their education. So what do you think would be the changes required towards those that space? Uh, so, look, I have to credit that the new education policy is a fairly forward-looking, progressive and ambitious document which lays out you know, specific skill sets beyond just the knowledge aspects that we've been looking at. I, I'm The core subjects, yes, they stay as it is. But there's a lot of focus on problem solving, critical thinking, communication, and confidence mm -hmm. building as a part of the formative years, right? Like we don't have to wait until the kids become teenagers and adolescents to teach them leadership. But it's like, what kind of experiences can you begin to provide to them right from elementary and primary grades? that will truly set them up for leadership. And I do think that, you know, if we can find a way to sort of bring in these kind of practices and projects in our schools, we can truly sort of raise the game. I do believe that if there is a way for us to connect leadership with service, service projects, what can you do for your community or where you are and no matter which school you are from, that, in my view, should be a critical element, which has not yet been fully solved for. And I already see some of the innovations happening on bringing entrepreneurship for kids. I think the Master Blasters yeah. program by Delhi Education Government and, you know, something that's set up by Mekin Maheshwari and, uh, you know, their organization, Udyam Learning Foundation is a fantastic example, right? So I do believe that there are these some of these innovations that are happening, which just need to be sort of brought in together okay. and find a way to compress it in your learning day. The only way to be able to make these things happen is to, you know, to reduce the breadth of the content, like all of the stuff that we've learned, we're not using it today and like just do the basics, even up to the grade 10th, and then create space for some of these elements in the school. Sure. Interesting. Very interesting that, yes, I, uh, that the confidence gap, bridging the confidence gap early on is critical for uh, leadership and uh, Yes, we have time for one final question. Sakshi, could you please um, uh, ask uh, Saurabh the question? Sure. So Saurabh, this question is uh, from the audience. So what is one piece of advice that you have gained from your exposure to the education field that you would give to an aspiring leader regarding the education space? Uh, 
only one advice huh that's tough <laughs> you can make it two or three <laughs> and now i will take the challenge on one if you're if if it's specifically connected to education sector i would just say judgment have unbelievable belief in the potential of every single child and find a way to identify what they are capable of doing and just stay at it until you find them and they find it it will have an exhilarating transformative impact on the life of children right so just one like you know stay put with identifying what their potential is and i think it's the most gratifying thing as an educator well thank you so much and um, you know i agree with you there's magic in everyone and uh, thank you sort of for such wonderful insights i really appreciate the time that you've taken out to answer our questions and uh, i'm sure our audience have gone away with wonderful tips and uh, techniques on how they can uh, you know manage their careers better and of course uh, be a part of this journey so thank you so much and a big thank you to our listeners and wishing you all a wonderful year ahead and thank you and goodbye thank you thank you sheetal and team for having me. thank you